Good evening. Glad you guys are here. Otherwise, I'd be here by myself. It's good to be back uh, from La Paz. As many of you know, that's where I was over the weekend. Um, it was a great time. It seems like a long time ago. I know it was just last week, but it's kind of like you can live a lifetime sometimes in, in just a short amount of time. And it was a, a great trip. A lot of neat things happen. I'll share a little bit more about it, I'm sure, um, as I'm talking, and then Sunday as well. Uh, but one of the things that did take place, just to kind of fill you in what the trip was about, was to try and boost uh, the give a boost to the church that has started down there. The church is called Estacion, and it did that. Uh, we were able to connect them to a lot of their friends who didn't normally go to church in a way that's very uh, productive in enhancing their relationship and communication with those people and the gospel, and it happened in a very uh, powerful way. It was something that surprised them. It was something that... Uh, surprised us in a lot of ways too, I think. It was challenging to us. I did not know it was going to be physically challenging as well. We actually had to exercise and stuff. It was part of the tour. And so if I step down and you hear me groan, that's what it is. Um, we had to do lunges and squats, and so my legs are still a little sore, and it was something we shared in common was pain. Um, just like that, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And actually, we hope to do something similar to this, but not in Mexico, maybe somewhere closer. And so if you guys are interested, we'll have more information as time comes up with that. But for now, we are continuing our conversation about the Spirit. Last week, as as we started speaking on this, we talked about the Spirit and some of the things that we had talked about where did my chalk go? Hold on a second. I had some chalk. Here it is. Last week, some of the things that we talked about regarding the Spirit was this understanding that everything that was made was made from that which was invisible. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. And so it's not that God created something from nothing. He created what we see, the tangible, the material from the invisible. And the difference is we are talking about there is spiritual material that everything was formed out that originated with God, that God is spirit, we are told. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so the material that Everything was fashioned that we can see was made from this spiritual material originated from God. And we talked about God not being just an energy or a force, but God is a person, someone who is concerned and interested in the things that we do. And so it's important that we understand that this creative force that set the world into motion is the Spirit of God and He is the one who has started this with intention. 
And so turn with me again to Genesis chapter 1, because we have to start here, because this is the beginning of what we see, and it's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What a picture. Hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And so here we see the Spirit of God hovering. It's like brooding over. It can actually be translated almost like vibrating, like when a a bird is flapping its wings and it causes that reverberation, that hovering has that intention with it. And so the Spirit of God, creation takes place. And when he shows up on the scene, we see things happen. Remember, anytime you see in the scripture, it says the Spirit of God, dot, 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 something is going to happen. Here at the beginning, we see creation comes about. Other times, we'll see that as the Spirit of God came upon them, that the place was shaken or that they spoke the Word of God with boldness. But anytime we see the Spirit of God show up, we see something happening. Something takes place, and so we should perk up and say, the Spirit of God, watch it. Something is about to happen. And if the Spirit of God is so foundational in this creative force and in some things taking place, whether it be through the church or in creation, the Spirit has to have a powerful influence in our lives as well, or should. And for some reason, we have neglected, I believe, this conversation and this understanding. And we talked last week a little bit of why, because a lot of times when things are associated with the Spirit, they get a little wacky, right? Can we just be honest here? You know, when I hear someone say, oh, yeah, the Spirit of God, it was filled with Spirit, my mind goes to TV preachers and it goes to people falling all over and wiggling on the floor. And it's like, okay, no, thank you. I I don't want that to be a part of my life. I want to stay in charge of all my, you know, senses. And I don't want to be embarrassed later on when they show the TV on me wiggling on the floor. Um, And so there is this apprehension to the things of the Spirit. But what we see here in the beginning, that God created, and the way that he created was through the Spirit, and we see that he created, and this creation process is kind of interesting because it's actually something that is also scientific to a certain degree, even though Genesis wasn't meant to be a scientific manual. But we see that God creates light, Right, He created light at the beginning, and with light comes the, the idea of energy. The sun is a thermonuclear furnace, and, and so with the light comes the energy, and we know from the energy we have matter, and so we have the things that came into being, the earth and all the, the plants and all the material things that develop that this energy resorts into this matter. I just read an article today that 
they have the the large hardened collider where next week they are planning to cause this energy and hope to create a other dimension, a black hole where gravity will actually escape to. Now, this is like beyond my mind, but this is so intriguing to me. When I read the article and I saw that they want to create a connection to another dimension, doesn't that sound like Twilight Zone stuff? But this is physics now. Doesn't the spiritual realm kind of strike you as another dimension? And here it's talked about as science. Not too long ago, it would have been spoken of as superstition. And their hope is to send this energy matter at such great speed that as they collide, they can actually create or what they hope to recreate a black hole so that they can see in a very small degree, at least we hope, right? (laughs) Otherwise, all matter will disappear as we know it. Um, Boy, there's a science fiction story here. Anyway, this matter is going to create this black hole where they can actually see gravity escape and track it and thereby recognize that this matter is now being moved to this other dimension because of energy that was created. And so the idea of the Spirit of God creating light, creating energy, creating matter, we we see this progression, and with this matter we have the universe. Right? He created universe S-E. Okay, he created matter, we created the stars, the moon, and all these things that are a part of the universe, okay? We have our solar system that we know is a part of this. And a part of our solar system then we have is our planet, the earth. And then strangely, and in this creative process at the end, we have God created you, Created us, created mankind. And what a strange thing that we are created in this kind of unique order. God created light, this energy, the matter, the universe, solar system, earth, and then the kind of pinnacle of the creation isn't the magnificence of it. It's actually this part of it, you and I. That God creates us. We are created in unique relationship to everything else. In fact, we are very dependent on the creation. And it was always intended to be that way. A lot of times we think that in the beginning when God created everything, before the fall, man didn't need anything. But that's not true. Man had thirst and there was water that was a part of the creation that provided and quenched that thirst. There was hunger and there was food that would satisfy that hunger. There was the need to breathe and there was oxygen that filled the lungs of the first human being. And the first human being was dependent on all the things that God has created. And everything that God created, remember, was created out of the invisible, was a part of this spiritual matter this other dimension and we are connected to that. 
We are connected to this dimension and have need for it. You know, the beginning, God says that it's not good for the man to be alone. The man didn't know it wasn't good. He didn't have any idea. All he knew was that I'm here and there's these animals. And then we see that God brought woman to him. And now there is a whole lot more. Now life has become a whole lot better, a whole lot more interesting. Why? Because it is connected to all these things that God has created. And so we are designed to live in relationship with creation. And this is important because our idea of spirit and what is spiritual usually detaches from everything that is material. And yet we were meant to live in relationship with this material world that God himself created by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we inhale the oxygen and we exhale the carbon monoxide and the trees and the plants inhale the carbon monoxide and they exhale, so to speak, the oxygen that we need. And so we see this interdependence on all of creation. Isn't it amazing and great that it is not just salt water that fills the earth, that there is actually fresh water. Otherwise, we die. But from springs within the earth, from mountain snow tops that melt, we have fresh water that supplies our needs to survive. And you see, the intention of the spirit in the creative process the invisible coming and becoming visible is all connected with the intention of the Spirit of God to bring about life so that we could survive. And so we're dependent on that thermonuclear furnace, the sun. Think about that. We're all solar powered. We don't have to have a big thing on our head to connect the energy. But the whole earth has this need for the sun, and it affects us. You know, uh, you'll go to a doctor, and the doctor, if you're depressed and going through, he might actually tell you, go out and get some sun. Why? Because it does something to you. It affects you. I had friends who were living in Wales, and it rains a lot in Wales. And they said that it had rained like for four months straight. And I remember she said... I was going crazy. I was depressed. It was like, are you serious? It is raining again today. And when the sun came out, it was like this blanket lifted off of them. And it was like, oh, thank God there is sunlight because we need it. Not only in a physical sense, it does something to us. It affects our countenance and provides the things that we actually need. And we have to recognize that because if we see that we are a part of this creative order, that God has created light and the energy and the matter of the universe and all these things that we are interdependent in and we are grateful for the sun and we're grateful for the water and we're grateful for the food and all these things and we can be thankful for that. But if we stop there, then we are stopping short of probably the most or definitely the most important things that we are really 
needing to connect to. I had a conversation uh, with an incredible young lady down in La Paz who thankfully was an exchange student in Wyoming and learned to speak incredible English so I could actually communicate with her. But I had an incredible conversation at a coffee shop as we were talking about the whole events that took place on the previous day. And she was telling me about how I asked her earlier if, you know, she felt that she was a spiritual person. She said, yes. And so at the coffee shop, I said, what do you mean when you say you're a spiritual person? What does that mean to you? And she says, well, there are these moments in my life where I'll, I'll see something beautiful and it just affects me. I'll see the sunset. Like when we went out at the end of our tour and there was the sunset and we were supposed to walk out and just have this encounter with what God has done and recognize he has done it for us. She goes, I have those moments and I just know that I'm a part of the universe. And I just said, I said, I understand that. I recognize that. That is so true. You were created to be in relationship with the universe, but you were created for even more because the universe is part of the creation, but there is a creator who created that, who created you and created you with that intention. And so our conversation was able to go even deeper because of these things, because of what has taken place. And the Spirit of God is the primary source of life. And if we lose sight of that, we miss the whole point. The point of all this was to reveal who He is. And so many times what we do and what religion has done is, okay, we want to get to God. And, and so to get to God, we, we want to find our way and climb all the way up this so that we can finally get to this place. And what do we have to do? Well, we have to maybe give up certain kinds of food, depending on the religion that you're a part of, or certain types of things. And we have to, you know, pray so much or so many times of the day, and we have to face the East again, depending on your religion. And we have to try and bring, disregard ourselves from our our matter, not become materialistic. And if we can do all the right things, maybe we can get to God. And, And that's kind of what religion has been doing all along to close the gap. But maybe our connection to the Spirit of God is actually closer than we think. You know, the word for spirit and the Hebrew is the word ruach. We've talked about this a few times, that Klingon word, ruach. And the word for it in the Greek is the word pneuma. And in pneuma, we have a little bit more words that come out of that, like pneumonia. Pneumonia, actually, the root is this word pneuma. It is that lack of ability to fill your lungs with air. And there's these Words that connect to that word spirit, ruach or pneuma, because the same word that is used for the word spirit is also the word wind. And so the idea that, you know, God, when he created, that it was the spirit of God, the wind of God that moved on the earth. It is the force of God that moves. And that it's also the word breath, which is a lot more intimate 
And they're all the same word. The word spirit, the word wind, the word breath, all are coming from the same word, the same beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, scripture that we've covered before and you know well, it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word breathed is the same word that's used for spirit, ruach, the breath of life. And man became a living being. When God exhaled, you took your first breath. And when you inhaled, you became a living being. And it's amazing because this idea of Breathing in or wind has a connotation also of of courage. It can mean courage. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Have you ever lost your spirit? It's similar. Have you ever needed to be encouraged or inspired? What does that mean? It means to be breathed into. And so when we need inspiration, we need something to fill us. And so now I I want you to think God has given us his life. His life is from him. His spirit has given and quickened us, given us life. And it is something that is necessary, whether you are a follower of Christ or not. Every time you inhale, you are reenacting that first act where God gave you life and made you in his image. And God was that close to you and he was there with you. And so we see this work taking place as The Spirit of God moves into you and you receive life. And what we need so often in our lives is to be inspired. We need to have courage. We need to be encouraged. And we see this taking place even through the book of Acts. In chapter chapter 4, verse 31, it says, After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what did they do? They did miracles. They cast out demons. They raised the dead. That's not what happened. It says they spoke the word of God boldly. When they needed courage, they prayed and God inspired them by the spirit so that they could do what God had called them to do, what God had created them to do with boldness. And what we need as believers, not only in God, but in Christ, is to be inspired by God, to have the courage to live for God and to have the breath of God give strength Courage, boldness to us. And so many times what 
we try to do is figure out how do we get God to give us his strength as if we are more interested in finding out what God wants for us than God is wanting to be found. And we're just, God, what do I have to do to receive the power of your spirit to have the courage to live the life I want to live? God, what do I have to do? How hard do I have to pray? What do I have to to give up? How do I get to the place where you will give to me what I need to live for you? As if God is saying, well, no, that's good, but it's not quite good enough. If you jumped a little higher, maybe then I would give it to you. But you see, all of creation is telling us that God has created everything so that we could interact with him even as we breathe. And so Paul could tell them at Athens, he could say, he's not far from any one of you, for in him we live and move and have our being as your own poets have said. You see, even those who were not followers of God, of Yahweh, or of Jesus had an awareness that God was nearby. And just like our bodies get moved by the ocean when we're swimming and a wave swells over us, the Spirit of God is moving all around us and we should be movable and shaped by His moving even as Jesus was because He was our example. And God is wanting to work in your life as much and more than you are wanting him to work in your life. And God is wanting to be closer to you than you are wanting to be closer to him. There are times when Corinne and I are are having, you know, maybe an argument or a disagreement. And, And there's you know, contention in our relationship. And then one of us says, I want this to end and says, I'm sorry, or hey, can we talk? Because they want to end the friction. The one who wants to do that is God. The one who wants to end the friction and start the deeper relationship is him. And that he is the one who is wanting to breathe the inspiration, the courage into our lives. A few verses I want to read to you. One is Job 33, verse 4. You can write them down. It says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. See, whether you believe in Jesus or not, God is the one who gives you life. Your original material, if you will, is spirit. Remember, you are not a physical being with spiritual appetites. You are a spiritual being with physical appetites. In Job 32, verse 8, but if... But it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives them the understanding. Isn't that amazing? It is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives them understanding. Your soul knows 
where you come from, probably before your mind ever figures it out. It is a spirit of a person that God has given that gives us understanding. And if we don't realize this, then we're going to try and satisfy our lives with material things, which is what happens. Okay, I I just need to get more. I have to have more success. I, I need more of something that is going to satisfy my life. And we keep trying to to fill the spiritual needs that we have with the material things, not recognizing that all that is material had its origin in the spiritual realm, and that's what we are supposed to connect to. And that's why we have to get past just the material things and recognize the spiritual world that we live in right here and right now. And it's not weird, and it's not new agey, and it's not esoterical. It is true. It is who God has made us to be. And in him, we live, we move, and we have our being. We are connected to God in this way. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 5, it says, This is what God the Lord says, the creator of heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all the springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. He gives breath to his people and life. And he does it, again, by the Spirit. You see, God is trying to bring us back to the place where we were created. He's trying to bring us back to that place where we walked with him and knew him. Where we were recognizing that we were created by him and that he is the one who has given us our very lives, and that every time you would take a breath, it would only be a reminder to your soul that it is the life that God has given me that I am a being and am living. And if every time we took a breath, we were aware who gave us that breath and where that breath comes from, It would connect us back to who we were intended to be. You know, there are so many times where we see God working the spiritual world in the natural. Remember Joseph, and you can turn to Genesis chapter 41. Joseph had a dream, or actually Pharaoh had a dream. And in his dream, he saw seven fat cows. And the seven fat cows were then followed by seven skinny cows. And the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows, but they didn't get fat. So it's kind of a nightmare. And Pharaoh says, okay, what's going on? And he calls all his people to come and tell him what is the interpretation of the dream and his soothsayers and all his magicians and people who, you know, were supposed to know these things could not because they did not speak the language of God. And so then they said, well, there's this guy in prison who who is an Israelite who is able to interpret dreams. Let's bring him out and see what he can say. And in verse 37... Of Genesis 41, it says, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. 
So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom the spirit of God is the spirit of God? Because Joseph interpreted the dreams. He said, here's what it is. The seven fat cows were seven years of plenty. The small cows were seven years of famine. And then there was going to come the time where you would need to supply yourself so that you could prepare yourself for the seven years of famine. And so he interpreted the dream. And then Pharaoh says, wow, we need someone who can interpret or can help us in this way. Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God, one who is able to speak to and hear God, one whom God is giving breath. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only the respect of the throne will be greater than you. And so a slave becomes second only to Pharaoh because the spirit of God was in him and he was able to hear the voice of God because he recognized who he was. Even before Joseph says, I can't interpret dreams, but there is a God who gives the interpretation. The one who gives dreams, is also able to give the interpretation. And so we see the awareness that Joseph had that he belonged to God was an important part of who he was. Turn to Exodus chapter 31. Starting at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See how I have chosen Beziel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. This is the first time we see anyone in Scripture filled with the Spirit of God. And what is he filled with the Spirit of God to do? Amazing things, spectacular things. No, he's filled with the Spirit of God and he has all kinds of skills. How interesting. Because when we think of someone filled with the Spirit of God, where does your mind go to? Well, here's where Scripture starts off. And it says, to make artistic designs for work of gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Isn't that cool? That the first person who was filled with the Spirit was filled with the Spirit so that they could create things for the temple, that they were, in a sense, inspired, given breath to by God to do this work that others would see. Moreover, I have appointed Oheliab, son of Ahismach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. And so again, we see that those people who are filled with the Spirit of God wasn't filled to do miraculous, but to be skilled, to be inspired. You want to be filled with the Spirit of God. What is it that you want to do? You are being filled, you are being inspired to create something of beauty. Maybe it's not a piece of wood or 
fabric or something, but you are given inspiration to do work, to be skilled in how you live. The psalmist says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God has created you, has breathed life into you and wants to fill you with his spirit so that you can create beauty around you. Now, in the Old Testament, the spirit of God would would come and go, depending on the people, depending on their obedience. We see with King Saul that he was filled with the spirit, but then when he became disobedient, when he became jealous, when he became envious of David, we saw that the spirit of God left him. We, We see the same thing that happened with David when David was king and he was inspired by God and he was, had the spirit of God on him and God was doing mighty things through him. And then we are aware of his sin that he saw Bathsheba on the rooftop, that he lusted after her, that he committed adultery with her that led to murdering Uriah, her husband. And we see that there is this void in his life. And then we see in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, that David writes just of this event and how it affected him. Psalm 51, verse 10. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And we see that David is saying, God, I need your spirit. I I don't want your spirit to depart. I want your spirit being a part of my life continually. And my disobedience has taken me to a place where I have been unaware. I have cut that relationship. I started breathing just oxygen and was unaware that what I was breathing was life that you gave me to inspire me to how to live and to live a life that was full with you. And I'm living my own life apart for you. I'm living a material life. I am not living a spiritual life and don't take that spirit away from me. And we see David's cry to be reunited with God, that the spirit was a means by which God's life was accessible to us. And as he became disobedient to that, God had to deal with him. But how does God deal with that? He deals with that by changing us. And he changes us. Let me see if I can find this. By doing something new in us. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, the Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and make you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. 
And so God is saying, what I need to do is change who you are. I need to give you a new heart. And, and this imagery is really strange because I'll take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Part of me thinks, I already got one of those. I want something better. Give me like a titanium heart, you know, plutonium heart. Give me, give me something that won't, you know, fail so easy. But then wait, the heart became stone. So I see the idea is not to get my heart so it would be hardened. So I don't need a titanium heart. But wouldn't it be better to say, I will give you a heart made of spirit? But he says, I will give you a heart of flesh. And what God is trying to do to deal with this disconnect that we have from him is to bring us back to who he created us to be. And so by giving us a heart of flesh, what he's saying is I want you to be human the way I intended you to live. I want you to be fully aware that I have given you life and I am the one who supplies your life, that it is my spirit that quickens you and that makes you alive. And even as Alex saying earlier in Acts 17, 28, for in him, or in Acts, excuse me, in Romans, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. That the heart of flesh, God is not trying to make us superhuman. He's not trying to make us an angel. He's trying to make us truly human again. And to be a spiritual being is not to be someone who is out of touch with the material, but is to be someone who recognizes that the material was created from the invisible, from the spiritual material that comes from God, that the heart that has become stone has become that because you've sought to live in absence from the author of life. And to have a heart of flesh means you are in communion with the one who gives you life and gave you that heart the way the heart was supposed to be originally intended. See, religion keeps trying to find a method to climb back to God, to earn your way back to God, to, to change those things that you do. As if God wanted you to struggle to find him more than he wants to be found. But God doesn't want to change your actions. He wants to make you alive. He doesn't want to just change what you do. He wants to change who you are so that your life is a reflection of the author of life. That when you breathe in every time you are living, your life is to be an example of the one who created you. And that the spiritual life is connected to this life that we live in. And so in first John chapter four, he says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. This is how we know. 
He has given us his spirit. But John surrounds this whole idea of being given his spirit with love. So turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And we're going to be closing here soon. First John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Who is reaching who here? This is how we know God loves us. He sent his son. He loved us first. He goes on and he says, dear friends, verse 11, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. He has breathed this life into us and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son, to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God has given us his son. He has given us his spirit. You should thank God that he is not an energy and that he is not a force that just is about life. You should thank God that he is a person who cares enough and wants to forgive. He is a person who is reaching out for us and understands our weaknesses and cares to help us in our times of need. I don't need an energy. I need a God who can help me. When I was having dinner at our last dinner there in La Paz, I was sitting next to, again, another brilliant young man. His name was Miguel. And again, he grew up in or went to school in Ohio, so he spoke great English. Very convenient to have these people there who I could converse with. And as I was talking to him, we were going on the same conversation. He says, well, you know, I I know that God is real because I believe in love and I believe that there is this love that is able to flow from people. And I said, well, that's amazing. That's so astute. But he says, but, you know, love is important because love is to me. Love is not a feeling. it, It is doing. It's an action. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, what a. What a powerful truth. And so I said, man, that is so, so true. What you said just resonates with me so much because that's exactly what I believe. See, if God is love, then how is God going to show you action? I said, this is how I believe he did. God sent his son because 
in matters of love, you don't send someone else, you go yourself. And the problem I have with every other religion, I told him, is that every other faith tells me that to get to God, I have to be better. And he just started laughing. He goes, yeah. I go, even some areas in Christian Christendom, they say the same thing. Well, you have to do this, this, and this, and this if you're going to get to God. He's like, yeah, that's, it seems like it. I said, but you know, my problem is I know who I should be, but I can't be him. And he just got silent. He said, I know the man I want to be, but I fail to be that man. And what I need is a God who will come down and help me where I am. And that's why Jesus came. Because God is love. And he just stopped and he was silent and he said, that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to have to think about that. And I said, great, you've already been doing a lot of thinking. But you see, I thank God that he is a spirit. He is a person who wants to bring us back into relationship and give us a heart That was the heart he intended us to have at the very beginning. And there are so many times in my life where I have felt dead. Where I have felt completely dry. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I know God loves me and I love him, but I just feel powerless. I feel empty. And what I need is what we see happening throughout the book of Acts where there's persecution and so they get together and they pray and their prayer isn't, God, give me something that I don't have. Their prayer is actually, God, restore into me what you have given me originally. Restore unto me that joy of my salvation. Give to me what belongs to me as your creation, as your son, as your daughter. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. He will give life. He will make you alive. And what we need so often is to be reconciled to who we really are. And it's not that we need more of God. It's what we need is to recognize all of who God is and all of what God wants us to do. And I think God has put us in a position of dependency where we have to desire the things of God so that we can stay in communion with God, that we have to long for what our souls long for. And those dry times, those, those harsh times, those times where I feel dead, those times where I feel just in need are pushing me to my knees and saying, God, I need to be 
with you. I want your spirit to be with me. I want to feel your life in my body. I need to breathe in and know that you are as close as the air I'm breathing. I need your strength to give life to my body. And it is need that draws us to a place of dependency. Have you ever been without oxygen? Maybe you're underwater. I remember one time in Hawaii, we went out into these waves, these beautiful waves. Oh, look at they're much bigger than they are at home. And so we go out there, and as I'm swimming out there, this wave comes, and I've got my little mask on, and I've got some fins on, and this wave comes, and it just smashes me. Bam! I don't know where my mask went. It's gone. One of my fins is gone. I don't know where it's at. And I'm trying to get out of the water to find, you know, to recompose myself. But I can't because the water's pulling me back in. You know, I'm doing a moonwalk back into the ocean. And all of a sudden I look and here comes another wave. Bam! Smash! Drags me down to the sand. I'm in the water for a while and I'm just spinning around doing body sculpture under the sea. And all of a sudden I get up and I'm trying to get out again. I can't get out so I think I'll try and get back in. I just need to get somewhere where I'm some relief. And I go struggling in and bam! Another wave crashes on me. And pretty soon I'm like, okay, oxygen. I need oxygen. How long can I stay underwater? Not this long. I need air. And you come up and it's like, you're just gasping for air and you're struggling to survive. And now this isn't fun anymore. This is life. And you're struggling to breathe in. And sometimes these areas on our life are us gasping for what we need. And what we need is what God has intended us to have. And so we fall on our knees and we pray and we cry out, God, I need your breath in me. And the wind of God that gives us courage, the breath of God that kissed life into us, brings life to us again and again and again. Because he is not far from any one of us. We are created with this need and from the spiritual material. We live and move and have our being in him. And sometimes we just don't see it. Sometimes we don't act as if it's true. Sometimes we live our lives as if this is all there is and we're disconnected from the one who breathes life into us moment by moment. And if we could connect back to the one who gives us life and has made a way so that we can now have a restored heart through Jesus who gave his life, died and rose again, to reunite us to the purpose and the creation that God has intended us to live in, then that same spirit that conquered death lives in us. What can he conquer in your life? How can he make you alive today? Because that is his intention. That God intends for you and I to be connected to who he is. And to live in the awareness of the life that he gives by the spirit. Let's pray. Father, so often when we talk about these things of spirit. At least my mind goes to 
so many distant things that seem far from who I am. And, and Lord, I recognize that it's because I have been living so often in a, a way that is disconnected from you. And Jesus, even as you would say, what the Father says, I say, and where the Father leads, I go. Lord, that was our intention. We were to be people of the Spirit and move as you would move us to hear your voice that isn't audible, but is real. To sense in our spirits what your Spirit is making known to us. Maybe it is a need in someone else. Maybe it is a word to give to someone else. Maybe it is something that we will need to give our own lives strength. But Lord, I pray that we would be dependent on you as we are for air. That we would long to hear your voice and desire what you have created us to be. And Lord, I pray you would help us to see that, that from the very beginning, your intention was to create us as spiritual beings that have bodies. But Lord, we are spirit at the core. And our spirits cry out to you. Father, may you unite us to yourself again and again through what you've done through Jesus Christ. I pray and ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.